Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, thank you. Praise you, O Lord, that there is no one greater. Searched all over, couldn't find nobody. Went through all kinds of things, Lord, and couldn't find anything or anybody that was greater than you. So, Father, we thank you right now that as we move forward in the word, that we release ourselves to you. Use us now, Father, for your glory, your power, and your majesty. Thank you that there is nobody greater. We make this prayer in the mighty name of Jesus. And all those who agree with this prayer said amen. Nobody greater. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Brother Kevin, for such an incredible, powerful rendition of nobody greater. I don't know about y'all at home you should be fired up about now. And let me see if I can keep the, the level <laughs> that this brother has set. Uh, listen, you know, um, Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday just passed. He got up. He got up. I've heard many songs. I've heard many people say, I've seen all kinds of things. He got up. I think what we really need to do or understand is why did he get up? You know, one of the great things that I continue to want to make sure that I share with you, no matter what I'm teaching, no matter at what time that I'm teaching, that we're talking about an extravagant plan that God has laid out for us. See, it's powerful to know that we are loved. You know, when you love somebody, you plan events for them. You plan outings for them. You plan dinners for them. You plan these kinds of things because you want to express your love to them more than just verbally. You want actions to speak for you. So you express those things. You do those things. Some of us bake cakes or cookies or, you know, make picnics or whatever, but we're expressing our love. We're doing it more than just verbally. I need you to know God who is rich in mercy, who is rich in kindness, who is rich in love, extended upon us his love, gave his love to us. And this particular season, this Resurrection Sunday, this incredible weekend that people thought they were getting rid of Jesus, didn't know that they were a part of God's plan. And then he got up. I need you to know why he got up. I need you to understand the totality of this plan. I need you to understand the finality of this particular plan. That once these events take place, nothing can ever change them. Nothing can ever dilute them. Nothing can ever take the power away from them. This is a powerful time. I love Resurrection Sunday. I love this because my God loved me so much. He created a fail safe program for me that I could live with him eternally. So powerful. But hey, you don't have to take my word for it. The B-I-B-L-E will guide us here as we go through this particular service. So just let me dive right in here. It says, why did he get up? It says his death paid for our sins and his resurrection restored our life, our life. 
His death, his death paid for our sins. Those are the things that separated us from God. His resurrection restored our life. Because of Jesus, we have eternal life that we've been restored to God. Now, this restoration to God is complete. It's final. It's done. We are reconciled. Matter of fact, we are so deeply reconciled that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's how final it is. He said, you're reconciled. I need you to believe, trust in, experience what that reconciliation means to you. And then I'm giving you the ministry of reconciliation, meaning that because you understand it, because you've experienced it, you can now show it or share it with others. So he got up to give us these victories, these eternal victories, these eternal. He got up for these reasons. So let's dive right into scripture. I. I'm going to have some fun today. I pray God you do as well. I don't want to take up a whole bunch of your time, but I am excited about what this says to us. So let's go to John chapter 10, verse 10. John chapter 10, verse 10. We're going to read it in the Passion Translation. And listen closely. It says, a thief has only one thing in mind. We know that to be true, don't we? A thief wants to steal something. That's what they do. It says, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I, this is Jesus, but I have come. Come from where? I came from heaven to earth. Why? To give you, you, me, you, everybody, everything in abundance. More than you expect. Life restored, reconciled life to God in its fullness until you overflow. So he explained to us what the thief came for, but then he explained to us what he came for. So you have this abundance. You have this overflowing of this new life. You have this and nothing can take it away. Christ died once for all. He got up once for all. I, and he did this so you and I would have this abundance. Now, wait a minute. I have to understand what he's done. I can't just sing about it. I got to understand it. And then I got to experience what that love means to me. You know, when I was a very, very young man, my father killed himself. He jumped out of a hospital window. And, and he died. And I felt abandoned. I felt lost. I felt, you know, we were already poor before daddy died. So after daddy died, we became Poe. Y'all know Poe is worse than poor, right? <laughs> we became Poe. And it was tough. I thank God for my mama each and every day of my life. I am Annette Ellen Brown's son. Her number one son, and I thank God for that. But my mama struggled. She really did, trying to raise us. And so the abandonment issue, I didn't feel that I was loved. And because I didn't feel I was loved, then nobody could prove to me that they loved me. No matter what they did, no matter what they said, I didn't believe them. Until that day I realized I was running people away from me. And I prayed 
And God says, I am your father. I've always been your father. And I promise you that I would never leave you nor forsake you. That hit me. I experienced his love at that very moment. I experienced what it was like to have somebody love me unconditionally. I was messed up mentally. I was messed up emotionally. I was messed up in so many kind of ways. I can't even explain them all. I was a mess. But he accepted me just as I was. So he came that that experience for me would happen. Not just for me, but for you as well. He got up. So I would have this experience with him eternally. That I would know from this moment on, he would always be with me, even if things didn't work out the way I wanted them to. Even if I suffered a little, even if things got tough, I could always understand he got up for me. Why? Because he loved me. Have you had that experience yet? Do you have that in your head that he got up for you? How powerful is that? And that's Jesus telling us why he came. So we would have this abundant life. Abundant life means more than just regular life. Abundant life means that there's so much more that is lavished on us because of our connection with him. How do I know? Because this abundant life becomes real. It becomes beautiful because you get a chance to interact with so many other people. You get a chance to interact with so many great human beings all over the planet Earth. Again, abundant living. You get a chance to begin to live not in fear, but in understanding his perfect love for you has cast out fear. You get a chance to live every day knowing Knowing that nothing can cause Jesus to die and nothing can take power away from him. Because when he got up, he defeated every other power that there is. He is the king of kings. The Lord of lords. He is above all things. That's why he got up. Not for him, but for you and I. So we would know how eternal this love is let's read them let's go to Romans chapter 5 I pray God this is benefiting you right now for you to really get an understanding of how important it is Romans chapter 5 begin to read at verse 9 and this is also out of the, the excuse me the passing translation it says and there is still much more to say of his what unfailing love for us for through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you and I are now righteous in my sight. We are righteous in God's sight, not because we live right, but because the blood of Jesus has made us right. Righteousness means right standing with God. We have been moved from darkness into light. This transition has taken place instantaneously when we accept Jesus Christ. But we have to grow to learn it. We have to experience what that means and how that works out in our life. But this is good stuff. Listen, it says, and because 
of the sacrifice of Jesus, because of the what? The sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. Let me read that verse again. Yes, that's exactly what it says. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never, how long is never, experience the wrath of God. So, if while we were still enemies, God fully, completely reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God and because we share and because we share and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more will we be rescued from sin's dominion? So are you sharing in his resurrection life? He was resurrected. He beat, broke the back of death, paid for sin, got up, broke the back of death. Death couldn't hold him. Oh, death, where is thou sting? Death can't do anything to Jesus because he got up. He broke the back. Are you experienced what his resurrection life is? See, he didn't get up just to prove to us that he could do it. He got up to prove to us that he did it for us, that each and every one of us can now enjoy this living without fear. This living a full and abundant life without fearing death. Because if death couldn't hold him, it's not going to hold us. So if my body stopped working, if my heart started working, the spirit in me lives on. It lives forever. So I, I don't live in fear anymore. I can live this abundant life that he has given me. I can let the God who lives in me now live through me and I could be excited about that. I can have fun doing that. Oh, there's going to be tough times, man. There's going to be suffering because that's real. We're in the world and this world has trouble in it. But we, he said he has overcome the world. Take heart for I've overcome the world. So this experience, resurrection life. Why did he get up? So you can partake of his resurrection life. That you can live not in fear of death, but live in the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ. You could be excited about living. Let's read on. It says, and even more than that, like there could be more, man, this is good stuff. We overflow, meaning the cup, pouring in the cup, has reached the rim and now it's flowing all over the place. We overflow with triumphant joy in our new relationship of living reconciled to God. All because of Jesus Christ. Is that how you're living? So how you living? <laughs> how you living? Do you have this triumphant, overflowing joy? See, Satan's job is to take your eyes off of the accomplishments and the finality of the cross and the power of the resurrection. So what does he do? He puts all kinds of troubles and concepts and mountains of worry and stuff in front of your eyes so you look at it instead of the triumphant living so after a while as you continue to study the pains and the agonies and the defeats of all of those situations soon you are depressed you're lonely you're brokenhearted you're all of those things because you are no longer triumphantly living 
Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean the triumphant living part doesn't mean it happens all the time. It means that it should happen more than what it is. See, because when I'm down, you're up. You, as my brother or sister, should lift me up. When you're down, I should lift you up. But the idea is none of us should stay down because we have this triumph. Jesus got up and he broke the back of death. He broke the back of worry. He said, cast all my, all your cares onto me before I care, because I care for you. Is this making sense to you today? Now, again, why am I saying this? Because it should change how you live. See, right now, some of us are living way beneath our means. We're living way beneath the triumphant joy that he has given us. We're living in a state of fear. We're living in a state of hate. We're living in a state of revenge and division. That's where we're living. Why are we living there when Jesus got up? You'll be, you were at church Sunday singing and waving palms and doing all kind of stuff and then went home and sat down full of anger and vengeance. And none of those things are triumphant and they have nothing to do with what Jesus got up for. Somebody say amen. And say, Pastor Ben, you getting on my case today. No, I'm just trying to get us to understand why he got up. Why? And why this should be a joyous occasion for us. Oh, man, it should change the way you walk. It should change the way you talk. What if you knew that if you got into a fight, you were going to win the fight even before it started? Didn't matter how big the opponent was. How would that make you feel? You'd be confident. I'd see you bouncing around on your toes, doing some shadow boxing. You know what I mean? Throwing some jabs and hooks. It ain't never threw a jab and hook in your life. But because you knew before the fight that you were going to win, no matter what the opponent was, you'd be triumphant. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you today. That's who you are. He has defeated everything that's going to come our way. Everything. But Satan's job is to make you doubt that. Satan's job is to put all this stuff in your way. And here's the kicker. You ready? If you stop your allegiance with Christ and put your allegiance to anything else, you have just given up your triumphant joy for something else that doesn't have any power. Let's read on. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Hopefully this is benefiting you today. This is why he got up. Colossians chapter 2 again, the Passion Translation. Begin to read at verse 11. It says, through our union with him, we have experienced, word keeps coming up, doesn't it? We have experienced circumcision of heart. Meaning that the excess stuff was cut away from our heart. Listen closely. All of the guilt and power of sin has been cut away. And is now it's extinct because of what Christ, the anointed one, has accomplished for us. Let's leave that up there. I'm going to read it one more time. Through our union with him, we have experienced circumcision of heart. All of the guilt and power of sin has been cut away and is now extinct. Because of what Christ, the anointed one, has accomplished for us. For we 
been buried with him into his death. Our baptism into death also means we were raised with him when he when we believed in God's resurrection power. Do you believe that today? I said, do you believe it today? You got up. You were resurrected. Jesus did it first. Now you have done it when you accept Jesus Christ. So you end up same death, same resurrection, but it has power. You have the same resurrection power. Also means we were raised with him when we believed in God's resurrection power, the power that raised him from death's realm. This realm of death describes our former state. For we were held in sin's grasp, but now, everybody say, but now. (laughs) We've been resurrected out of that realm of death. Wait a minute. Death, in this case, meaning separated from God, separating from the source of all the creation, separated from the source who initially extended his kingdom into the earth because he loved us. That was death. But we have been translated from that state. We have been moved from that state. Why? Because Jesus died to reconcile us to the God who loved us originally, who now has redeemed us us because he deemed us in the first place when he made the creation now he has redeemed us so now we have this new powerful relationship the realm of death describes our former state we were held in sin's grafts but now we've been resurrected out of the realm of death never to return for we are forever alive And forgiven of all our sins. Wait a minute. God, this is almost too much for me. My brain can't take it. I'm forever alive and forgiven for all of my sins. I live in a sin conscious world. All I think about is sin. Don't touch that. Don't smell that. Don't drink that. Don't do that. That's where I live. But you're telling me. I'm forgiven. So if I begin to understand that, what happens to my joy? What happens to my peace of mind? What happens to my energy? What happens to my desire to let somebody else know about what this life is? See, I can't share joy if I don't have any. I can't give you joy. I can't knock on your door because somebody trained me to be an evangelist. And I knock on your door. You open the door. I'm standing there looking like I've been baptized in lemon juice. But I know the right things to say, but I don't have the right things in my heart because my heart has not been circumcised. So I'm standing there repeating words that I've been given to say, but I don't have any faith in what I'm saying. And you will realize it as you stand at the door. You'll look at me and say, listen, uh, whatever you got, I don't want. Is this making sense to you? Make it real to you first. Take the time to really make it real to you. Okay, let me let me go on. It says he canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all. All sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all that (laughs) 
He deleted it all and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed into, excuse me, onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all of the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them, them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. Extravagant plan. He lavished on us. Covered every angle. He did everything. So you could live a victorious life. Why? Not just so you can do it. But that your victorious life becomes a light to those that are in darkness. See, people who are consumed by fear need to know that there are some people who are living in peace. They need to know that there's an option, that there's something different. But you, we, this is where we're supposed to be the light to them. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. So those same prisoners are now your prisoners because you've been set free. That's why he got up. So you could be free. We're almost done. Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter five, same translation. I pray God this is helping you today. For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us. Without understanding that he loves you, you'll have no fuel. I say without understanding that he loves you, you'll have no fuel and you'll have no motivation. If you don't believe he loves you, then what moves you? What motivates you if you don't understand or believe that he actually loves you? You are still operating in fear. You're still operating in the concept of wrath. And as long as you are, that will never motivate you. That will never give you the fuel to move on. But if you understand the totality and the finality of what God has done through Christ's death and resurrection, you now go to this verse and it says, for it is Christ's love that fuels our passion. What fuels your car? Gasoline. And when you put gasoline in, your car can go the distance. It can go places. But without any fuel in your car, it's still a car, but it can't take you anywhere. It can sit in your driveway, but it can't take you anywhere if it has no fuel. You just coming to church, sitting in this chair is like a car. You're just sitting here. You have no fuel if you don't understand what your relationship is to God and what he has done for you and why he got up. And once you get that fuel, then you'll be motivated. Motivated. Fuels your passion. 
For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us because we are absolutely convinced that he has given his life for all of us. This means all died with him so that those who live should no longer live self-exorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for him, the one and only who died for us and now lives again. So then, from now on, from now on, from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearances. This is important because this passionate fueling of ours that gets us to be motivated allows us to go to people no matter what they look like because we know all people need Jesus. I said all people need Jesus. I don't care what they look like. I don't care where they come from. I don't care what country they are. They all need Jesus. So this passionate fuel of knowing what Jesus has done for us motivates us to go to people regardless of what their outward appearances are. We do not judge people by their outward appearances. I need us to get this because if we don't, then we stay stuck in dumb stuff. All. It says all. Christ came for all. He died for all. He got up for all. Once you understand it, then you take this message to all. Without any reservations. Without any second thoughts. Without any fear. I don't like the way they do this. I don't like the... Man, there's so much stuff I don't like. Thank God Jesus didn't think like me. (laughs) Thank God he didn't. For that's how we once viewed the anointed one. But no longer do we see him with limited human insight. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, all of Christ into all of me. We just finished that series. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. And God has made all things new. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself And given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. I heard people say today, man, America has become a godless country. You know why? Not because God has got off the throne. Not because God has changed his mind. Not because God has turned his back. It's because those who should be fueled. By Christ, who should be motivated by Christ, are no longer doing that. They're going places where all of the motivation and the fuel is being sucked out of them. And they're just going through rituals. They come to church, punch the card in the hallway, listen to a song, tap their feet, throw some money in the bucket. When the last song is sung, they get up, walk out the door, and they think church is over. This is this building is not the church. We're the church. 
we were supposed to go out into society and shine our light in the world. But Satan fixed it that we would all just come into a building and think that the building is the church. And now all of the fuel is gone. There is no fueling station. You're not being fueled to go out. You're being fueled to come and sit. And because we are in here sitting, the world is going to hell in a handbasket because we are the ones that are supposed to shine our lights in society. It's time to reverse this thing. This is the fueling station, brothers and sisters. You come here to hear the word of God. You come here to hear how he died and then got up and he put a period at everything that would hold you bondage to fear and to guilt and to condemnation. He has set you free so you can be full of that freedom, share that freedom with other people and let them know there is an antidote to their fear. There's an antidote to their anger. There is an antidote to their hate. And his name is Jesus. But you can't give away something you don't have. And we need to stop doing what we're doing and reverse this thing. You are the church, not this building. When you come here, my job is to inspire you, to equip you, to go out and do the work of God. Not come here and think you're doing the work of God in here. No, you come here to be inspired, to be equipped. To let you know who you are and what has been done for you so you can have fuel, baby. So your passions can be ignited and you can go out into the world and make a difference. In other words, (laughs) it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world. Not even keeping records of their transgressions. See, again, we're, we're in the business right now pointing out everybody's transgressions. We're, well, you said that wrong. You did that wrong. They doing this over there. Listen, I don't care about, he doesn't even look at their transgressions. Why are we? Because he died to cleanse us. If we can get them to understand that, they'll stop doing the dumb stuff. But we've got to be there. We've got to understand that. He never gave us the ministry of not reconciling. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He never gave us the ministry of pointing out transgressions. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's why he died. That's why he got up so we could all be included in this plan, all of us. So if he didn't count your transgressions against you, why are we trying to point out other people's transgressions as though they're so far gone they can't reach God? That's not our call. We have the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling people to God. Does does this make sense to anybody today? And he has entrusted to us, to you and me. He's entrusted it to you and to me. He has entrusted it to you and to me, the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. He didn't entrust it to the government. He didn't entrust it to a political party. He didn't entrust it to some secret order. He didn't entrust it to them. He entrusted it to us, his body. 
He trusts us. I don't want to fail him. I can't because he didn't fail me. I have the experience of knowing he died for me because he loved me. He did not fail for me. So I'm here to tell you today, I'm not going to fail for him. I'm not. What are you going to do, Pastor Ben? I'm going to do what the word of God says. I'm going to believe in the one whom God has sent. I'm going to stand on that, brothers and sisters. I need you to stand with me. The world needs to know that they can be reconciled. I don't care how far gone they seem to be or how far gone you want them to be. By identifying transgressions does not secure your seat on judgment day. Because that's not the ministry that he gave us. Can you imagine standing in front of Christ on judgment day going, hey, Jesus, listen, I just want you to know I was able to pick out all those people that didn't deserve you. I was able to pick out all those people. And he's going to say to you, you, I didn't call you here for them. I called you here for you. What about you? Because I didn't give you this, the ministry of finding others' transgressions. Is this making sense to anybody today? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, we're almost done. We are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ. Where? To the world. It didn't say what kind of mindset the world was in. That, in a sense, doesn't matter. (laughs) Jesus came to save us. So our job is to take Jesus to the world that he came to save. We are ambassadors of the anointed one who carried the message of Christ to the world. As though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. I'm going to stop there because if I go on, I'm going to lose my mind. Tenderly. Oh, man, listen to me. We right now are letting division, isolationists, craziness, hate, All of these things be so-called triumphant in this world when it is us. He came to us when we were yet his enemies. That means our minds weren't set on him. Our minds were someplace else, but he still died for us. He still got up for us. What are you supposed to be doing right now? Same thing. You say, I can't be tender to people I don't like. Jesus was tender to you. God was tender to you. Well, I I just don't like the way they're doing this and I don't like the way they're doing that. There was a time in your life that God could have said, I don't like the way you're doing that. I don't like that thought that's in your mind right now. I don't like the way you were thinking about your mother and father just now. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf. Turn back to God. And be reconciled to him. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us. So that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. 
So the people who don't know righteousness right now, it is our job to introduce them to Mr. Righteousness. You know, working law enforcement, you could go into a community and little kids could tell you who was selling dope in the community, who was lying, who was stealing. They all knew the problem. So it became easy to become a problem finder. But that's not our ministry, brothers and sisters. Oh, I sure hope y'all are hearing me today. That's not our ministry. What is our ministry? Reconciliation. Who gets reconciled? Everybody through those who are already reconciled. We become ambassadors when we understand the totality of what it took for us to become reconciled. It wasn't become we were so smart, so pretty, you know, so tall, anything. It had nothing to do with it. It had everything to do with Jesus dying for us, getting up for us. When we understand that, then we have the power we have the freedom to extend that same thing to everybody, no matter how messed up they are. So I'm not impressed with problem finders. I'm impressed by problem solvers because God decided to solve the problem that kept you and I separated from him. And he sent Jesus here not to be a problem finder, but to be a problem solver. And the thing that kept Jesus on the cross was his love for us to solve the problem so we could be reconciled to God. So let's get back to our business, brothers and sisters. Let's get back to our business. Let's be the church. Let's go be the church. Let's go stand up for Christ in all of your areas of circle of influence on your job. Listen to me. As small things as if you're done with the shopping cart in the parking lot, take it to the, sh- the, the, the shopping cart slot. Don't leave it sit by somebody's car. Why? Because we are Christians all the time, not sometime. And it's simple. If you don't want your car crashed, scratched up by a shopping cart, you shouldn't want anybody else's car. Scratched up by a shopping cart. Said, Pastor Ben, you done lost your mind. I'm just trying to tell you how small and important these things are when you let them go. Take the shopping cart back to where it belongs. If you have to take it back in the store, take it in the store. That light shines to other people. Man, stop me in the parking lot. My wife loves taking shopping carts back. She loves it. So once we empty it, I turn the shopping cart over to her. She'll find that slot to take the shopping cart back. Some guy asked her the other day, are you taking that shopping cart back? My wife said, yes. He said, do you mind? My wife said, no. And took his shopping cart back. I know he probably went home and said, some nice lady took my shopping cart back. My wife didn't judge him by his outward appearance. She just took the shopping cart. I I need y'all to understand how simple it is to serve a God who died and got up for you. I pray God that you understand better now why he got up. And I pray God you understand why it's important for you now to fulfill the call on you. Easy to find transgressions. But it's time to be a child of God and connect those transgressors with Jesus.
Love you, brothers and sisters. I pray, God, that you have a wonderful week. We look forward to seeing you again next week. We'll start a new series uh, next week. Looking forward to that, but love you. Thankful, Thankful for you. Have a great day in the Lord.